Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, we're here to look at a few things that are happening in our world today. Um, I think I shared this morning in announcing this that uh, whatever happens in the White House has definite impact on Israel. It will not override, of course, what the Almighty has planned, but there are things that are happening. This is not about politics. I am not interested in Republican, Democrat, or Calithumpian, or whatever. Over in uh, Australia, we have the Labor Department. Elsie and I have dual passports, and uh, so we have government to keep an eye on. And I think we should, as believers, know what's going on. Not that we're going to affect that much, but that we know what's happening. The Lord said in... uh, who did he say this to, Isaiah or Jeremiah? Will not the Lord tell his prophets? And in a sense, we're all tellers of the good news. Will not he tell them what's going to happen? And I think it behooves us to know what's going on. Not that we're going to change it, but to know what the Father is doing so we can, can uh, have an insight on that, and that's what we have today. Uh, the title, What Did the American President Recently Say in Israel and Why? And um, I had another reshaping that comment, but that is good enough. But first, we pray. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters what I have seen in research as well as on the ground in Israel when I've been there. I thank you for the privilege of knowing what is happening and you will warn us what is to come. And we thank you, you've put us as watchmen on the walls. And you've said uh, to those of us who are watchmen, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he has made a Jerusalem, he has made Jerusalem a praise in all the earth, not as a political entity, but as a harbinger of what you have planned for your universe, your people, and your kingdom. Thank you, Father, and we ask for the intimacy of the king of the universe in this meeting this afternoon, And Father, touch your servant that I can do what you want me to do and do it right and say it right. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. 
What did the American president recently say in Israel and why? This was in March that he was there. Obama in Jerusalem, approximately 70% of American Jews supported his re-election. This is important. What I read next, an Israeli poll, however, indicated that 80% of Israel's Jews had their doubts about his genuine interest in Israel's welfare. And this underlines what we should know. When I'm talking about the Jews, there is a remnant that is part of the body of Messiah. And they're looking for Messiah as well as we are. I've shared this with a few people, and it is, it is of utmost um, importance that they know. But you know what? They do know what's going on, and out of fear, they hesitate to come down. And I, I could tell you a lot of stories that are beyond here, but we know some after-death experiences. Now, we don't know what's going on over there, but you know these stories about the, the guy that gets smashed in an auto, automobile accident? He's laying out there on the street, and he's somewhere else. The, there's been stories and articles. He's somewhere else looking down at this body on the street, but he really isn't dead yet. But he's out of body, and he's looking at this, and there's these stories about going down the tunnel. Going down the tunnel, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I've heard, true or not, and what I say is reporting to you what I hear, and like I say many times, connect the dots. I don't advocate some of these things. Uh, on the other hand, if they weren't important, I wouldn't be saying them. But anyway, we have heard reports of people say that they were swept away and taken to heaven. That I don't know. But they came back with some uh, ingenious reports. But I have never heard of a report that somebody came back and said, what's at that light? We've heard a lot of stories about a person approaching a light and then said, you can't come here yet. Who said that? Somebody's down there. And then what about the Jews? I've talked to a few people this morning, and I've talked to people for months and months and years and years. We want the Jews to be saved. And we've got some Messianic Jewish friends that think that Elsie and I aren't quite doing the right thing. Sure, I want to see them saved, but you know, Paul says they got a veil over there. Second Corinthians, I think, chapter 13 or 10 or somewhere around there. They got a veil over their faces. And they're not going to see. We got one good Jewish friend, Orthodox Jew. He's not far from what we are in what we believe on our behavior except for Jesus. They got a problem. But the problem is that from they think we're all Catholics. They think that Christians, that means Catholic. And they've had a bad run with the Roman system. Moreover, they've got Caiuses and Annases behind them that say, if you believe that this Jesus is another God. And there's terrible prohibitions against the Jew for worshiping two gods. And when they got one of these creeds, God the Son, 
God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. And if you could count one, two, three, that's three gods. I don't like that rendition. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, absolutely. In fact, I am sure that a description of our Lord Yeshua, he told Moses, is my right arm too short to reach you? That's Jesus. That's Yeshua, the right arm. Where is he sitting? Right side of God. And then there were, I think these are called Christophanies. Pre-birth experiences, pre-birth, pre-natal experiences of the angel of the Lord. Where it says an angel, I'm way off the track here, but forgive me, I'll get back on. Whenever it says angels talk to Mary, the angel talked to Joseph, the angel talked to somebody, they saw an angel, that's an angel. An angel is an angel is an angel. But when it says the angel of the Lord, that's somebody special, and it doesn't give his name as Michael or Gabriel. A lot of us who study these things believe, well, this is a, some, uh, my grandson, actually. He's, uh, this is our son, Jim's son. Uh, we don't have many grandsons. We got a whole heap of granddaughters. But anyway, that's another story. But my grandson actually told me what this is called, a Christophany, where it is the Messiah, a pre-incarnate presentation of the Messiah. Joshua says, whose side are you on? He says, I'm the captain. I'm the captain. There was Melchizedek. Who is in the fiery furnace? What an angel. The angel of the Lord. And uh, a number of them with Gideon and a number of them. Anyway, the fact is that all of this is in the scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures. And we've got an Israeli friend who says uh, he's a believer. We've got a lot of Israeli friends. This one's a believer, and he says says, uh, he doesn't need the New Testament. To speak to his people. And so he's speaking to his people. Elsie and I have an, a, another point of contact. We live our Christian lives in front of them. And Paul says we're gonna, supposed to make them jealous and not make them mad. And what are some of their own people doing? Are getting them upset? Maybe that's okay. I'm, I'm walking a tight wire on both sides. They think we're not doing enough if we wouldn't get them and shake them a little bit. Uh, I was going to tell you, and I got off the track, about this one fellow that we know. He's just like us, and he says, if God put a veil over my eyes, he's going to have to take it off. But other than that, you ready to listen? He don't want to argue about this, that. He's heard it all. But you know what? I'm looking at the end of that tunnel for a little exam. I wouldn't say a committee, because committees sometimes aren't too productive. That's the definition of a camel. That's a horse that's put together by a committee. A giraffe. giraffe. That too. Okay. Yeah, thank you. A giraffe that's put together by a committee <laughs> is what a giraffe is. But anyway, there's somebody down there at the, at the end of the... There's a welcoming, not a committee. There's a welcoming person, personage. And maybe it's the Messiah that we love. And... The Jews are waiting for Messiah, and I believe they're going to see him again. I believe that somebody that is hard on for the Father, we've got kids here that are running away next year. I worry a little bit about that. 
But the Jews are hard on after the Father, and I believe in a... There's no other way to be saved than Jesus. But I, I, I'm looking for this... Oh, I'm taking too much time. This confession of Thomas. He says, unless I see those holes in his hands and his feet, I'm not going to believe. See, he had the whole nine yards. And Jesus comes walking through the wall. And he wasn't looking for any holes in the hands or the feet. He says, my Lord and my God. I think he is a picture of today's Jew. Who's hard after the Father. But he has a veil over his face to see what is going on. But I believe that there is an investigator at, that, at the end of the tunnel. And uh, the other one, I like two verses. I don't, li- I don't like the one thing. And also we've had a number more of stories of Jews that have passed on or in their passing reporting to their families what they have seen. It's not salvation, but it gives us insights on another world. And you know, the older I get, the more I realize I'm thankful for what I know now, but there's stuff on the other side that we don't know. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered the heart of man what's over there. So this is the Jews, or I don't worship the Jews. And I got off on this because there's two kinds of Jews. And I'll read that again in a moment. I don't worship the Jews. I look for what the Father has planned for the end of days. Revelation calls it the New Jerusalem. And uh, the, my Jewish Orthodox friends call it the Redemption. This can only come through Yeshua, through Christ. Anyway, let's go back to this. It's on, it's on top here. Uh, 70 percent of American Jews supported Obama's re-election. An Israeli poll, however, indicated that 80% of Israel's Jews had their doubts about his genuine interest in his, his genuine interest in Israel's welfare. What's the difference? These Jews are out of the same cookie cutter, sort of. But they have different agendas in life. What are those Jews doing over there in Israel? They want to meet the Messiah. For many of them, unfortunately, some, some were born there. And they inherit what they get. But they are, many are there because that's where Messiah is coming. And that's a big move. What are the American Jews here for? And that's a common agenda. Paul says not all Israel is Israel. So we start with this. There was a, there's a difference here, and I've got to run along here quickly. Obama declined to address the Knesset. They wanted him to. Here's the head of state of America. Warts and all. And they want him to address the Knesset. That's their parliament, their Congress. Instead, he spoke to 600 hand-picked Israeli university students, typical university students, some a little bit left, maybe many of them. Spoke to them at the Israel Convention Center. I've been in that place many, many times. Conventions, the ICC in Jerusalem. So who didn't make the cut? 
He spoke to some of the students. An interesting omission were those less liberal, that is, religious students, from the university in Ariel, located in the disputed West Bank. They call it the West Bank. We, and all Christians should call it instead, Samaria, uh, which is north of Jerusalem, Judea, or uh, they got another name for it, um, uh, the uh, Eretzion, uh, Eretzion. Uh, I think that's the right pronunciation, but um, Gush, Gush Zion, which is, Gush is area, Zion is Zion. Gush Zion, and that's in the south, and these are areas, the heartland, and that's what the terrorists want, and that's what the, the, Pal- the Palestinians want, the Islam wants it, and they don't need territory, they want the Jews dead or out of there. That's what this whole issue is about. And John Kerry is over there stirring the soup, trying to get something going on. I talked to uh, Brother Gibb, there he is. Uh, and he, he saw, he's sharp. He's looking at the, uh, following this up, that they're very close to a new peace treaty. I think we should forget it. And I hope they, they forget it because it will lead to nowhere. And I've seen several articles in the papers after Brother Gibb told me about, well, I did see it in passing, but I don't have much time these days to check up on some of these things. Anyway, um, he declined to address the Knesset, but he got these liberal students into this convention center, which I've heard a lot of uh, very spiritual things in the convention center, which didn't make me real happy to hear that he was there. Of course, they can do what they want to at their convention center. Anyway, the students at the University of Adiel, Adiel is the biggest city, town, in the West, what's the West Bank. The West Bank comes from an Arab name. The, The the British divided up what should have gone all to the Jews. The Balfour Declaration back in 1917 said, we've got to give the Jews back their homeland. So about five years later, a less than uh, uh, insightful Jew cut this thing up, gave 70% of it to King Hussein. Uh, yeah, King Hussein. He was uh, an Arab from Saudi Arabia. Called it Jordan. Jordan is there today. That's 70% of what the Balfour Declaration promised them. And then the United Nations gave them, in 1948, a sliver of land which was indefensible. And seven Arab armies came at them. They won. The Israel won. And I, I know uh, he was a former general in the police. He used to be a liaison with the Christian embassy, which we are part of, sort of. And he's, I, I talked to Zev a lot of times, but I heard him speak once. He says, he was a general in the police, and he said, in 1948, I believe nothing up there is gone. And he said, when I saw what happened that couldn't have happened, I knew someone was still there. I don't know where Zeev stands with Yeshua. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. He's what they call a secret believer. 
waiting to come out of the closet like Thomas is my Lord and my God. Also, Paul fell off his horse. We've heard some of these things from various meetings here. Paul says, who are you, Lord? Was, I don't know if it was the brother that spoke last night, but I've heard some of these things coming out. You know, I feel real good. I rub shoulders with a lot of messianics. And I get to other churches. Uh, but this fellowship here, I've come home to people who love Israel and to know what the Bible says. And there's a lot of our churches that don't have that same insight and are swayed by political opinion. I'm getting too far away. I've got to get back to this. The, the uh, RDL University in the West Bank. And what did he say? What did Obama say to these kids? He said, Israel, and he was meaning you students, Israel has the wisdom to see the world as it is, but also, but I think he used the word courage in here, but also the courage to see the world as it should be. You students have the wisdom to see the world as it is, but also see the world as it should be. Now that part is in quotes. So who was the president quoting? Hmm. It was no less than Saul Alinsky. How many of you ever heard of Saul Alinsky before? There we go. Anybody else? He passed away in the 70s. Saul Alinsky, America's one-time leading Marxist and sometimes mentor of many with his famous handbook, Rules for Radicals. And Alinsky was a Jew like George Soros, the billionaire that's funding anything that is anti-Israel. He's a Jew. And these are two pictures, a picture of two renegade Jews. There are not many of them, but there are some of them that just hate themselves and hate their own people and hate their creator. But anyway, Alinsky wrote a book called Rules for Radicals. He passed away in the 70s, but his book is still around for progressive presidents, lunatic lefties, my terminology, and other would-be Marxists. But, unfortunately, as the old saying goes, the old adage goes, the devil is in the detail. Alinsky actually dedicated his book for all to see. It's in his book. Dedicated to Lucifer, the greatest love, the greatest rebel that ever lived. And this was one of the handbooks in the maturity of the President of the United States. Along with nice buddies like the Weathermen, the Black Panthers, unfortunately, unfortunately, it doesn't matter, he's not black. And I have heard people say, I want to write a bulletin one of these days about the ostrich generation, the ostrich farm, heads in the sand. I've heard people say that they don't like this president. The Republicans don't like it. So make it a political thing. It's not a political thing. It's a prophetic thing. They don't like this guy because he's black. That's baloney. I've been to, I've been to the, a huge messianic convention in Dallas. 
And there are blacks all over the place and orientals and everybody else. We have it here too. Hugging each other. America used to have some problems in the South, but some of this is long gone. And there might be individuals. He's Arab anyway and half white. But you know what the, what the, the uh, uh, catchword of the, of the communist is, the Marxist? If you got a crisis, don't waste it. If you got a crisis, don't you, you understand that? Don't waste the crisis. Use it to stir things up. Anyway, Lucifer is in the handbook. Let's go. Repeating, some 70% of American Jews helped get this fellow elected, while a full 80% of Israel Jews were not a little worried. But that was in mid-March, and much more has happened since then. Tie this in with what you heard this morning in Brother Ron, Ron's teaching, or Brother, Brother uh, Gary, uh, uh, Dave, Dave Gerhardt, uh, two lessons this morning. This all fits together. Uh, but uh, three reports this last month, there had been a, a tsunami of shocking stuff. First, there was a, a disturbing report by veteran Middle East analyst Barry Rubin. I read this guy, and unfortunately, America does not get too much. You could follow stuff on Fox, but if you're into a few other things coming from Israel, you're much better off in finding out what's happening. Barry Rubin is a good one. Rubin detailed three challenges to administrative action. You know what administrative action is? That's bypassing Congress. Administrative action. And all presidents have used it a little. But this latest fellow has used it, I don't know, but something like 10 or 13 times the amount of all the previous presidents put together. Once in a while they do something by administrative action, but he... he, um, has used it more than the others, and he's headed for something. Rubin detailed three challenges to administrative action. At that time, the Obama administration, uh, this was when Rubin wrote this, was uh, facing three major scandals. You all remember them. The IRS targeting, where if you give to an organization or something that, that the government is against, you can't use that for a tax, a, a tax benefit, a tax deduction. And there are many Americans who give money to those communities in Israel, in Judea and Samaria, because their own government is afraid, afraid of funding these places because of pressure from Europe and the United Nations. And that's the big problem with the government. If you want to pray for Israel, pray that the government gets straightened out. Anyway, um, the, uh, that was the IRS scandal, that certain things, if it was against the government thinking, I think Brother Ron touched on something that was close to this this morning. But, but you couldn't use this 501 thing too. We had something about 501 yesterday, but that's different. I might touch on that a little bit before we close. But anyway, um, this is one thing about the IRS scandal. Secondly, it was about the bugging of AP and Fox. 
and all the rest of you. And I don't know how much they get from Australia, but how many of you read the book? I don't know which one it was, 1984 or Brave New World. Yeah, uh, I read that back in university. It is here, it's long gone. Big Brother, listening to everything, watching everything. That's okay because we got a bigger brother on top. But the fact is, it doesn't hurt us to know what is going on. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves, as our best friend says in the scriptures, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Anyway, uh, yeah, this, this bugging thing, listening to conversations, and I'll tell you something later when we get that fixed up over there. <laughs> and uh, that's not now. Anyway, um, and then there was Benghazi. I don't know how many of you know what happened in Benghazi. This guy was crying for help. The, the, the um, ambassador or whatever his title was, he was crying for help. It was 10 o'clock one night. And uh, the secretary of the state and the president didn't lift a finger. And all of these scandals came along. But my friend Barry Rubin says, uh, number four, which wasn't listed, this was all stirred up. Then it dies down. Then it's, it's forgotten. Business as usual. Got to go back to making money. Got to go back. I mean, kids got problems. We got all kinds of things going on. It died down. Well, we have the scandal number four, just as large in scope, and I want to focus on this one. For the last four years, the Obama administration has conducted a major outreach program to Islamic groups in the United States and in the Middle East. In a comprehensive article, investigative journalist and PJ Media con contributor Patrick Poole now presents the full scoop. This is an article, and I can't go into it. I will would invite you to Google it, and if you can't write it down, uh, PJ Media contributor Patrick Poole. By the way, I shared this in one of our tiniest churches in Columbus. Brother Mike Cray was there. He knows this guy, Patrick Poole. He's one of the, he's one of the um, um, civil officials there around Columbus. Anyway, uh, he wrote a full scoop of it, and I'm getting here. Uh, Google Patrick Poole of PJ Media. His full story is, here's his title, Blind to Terror, the Government's Disastrous Muslim Outreach Efforts and the Impact on U.S. Policy. Google it. Uh, pool, just like a swimming pool, except it's got an E on the end of it. Remember St. Patrick's Day? So you Google this guy, but the article he wrote was Blind to Terror. I think you can pick that one up. We've got to go on with other things. Then I got a friend named Avi Lipkin. Now, when I'm talking to the Messianic people, a lot of them know Avi Lipkin because he comes around. He's an Orthodox Jew that comes around to the Christian conventions. He's an Orthodox friend of Christians. Avi also gives a similar report of what this Barry Rubin fellow wrote. 
First, he includes a leak that Obama tells senior UN official USA will be a Muslim country by 2016. Now, where do you get that? That's our, uh, it's time to put the heads in the sand. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, how do you know that? Where do you get that? Well, Avi, and he is a, he's written some books. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, his wife has been in, uh, and I, I'm not even clear on this myself, but she knows other languages, and she somehow intercepted or got through to hear this message that Obama bragged to a U.N. official that it's going to be a Muslim country like by 2016. I don't know. Just keep your eyes open. But I don't know how many people I heard from, and a few here too, that they will not be surprised if 2012 was the last American election because of these administrative decisions. He's got a thing going that will put this, this uh, position, I don't know what to call it, uh, it's not a party really. I mean, the Democrats have picked up on them, but they are about Obama's agenda. I, I studied this back in 2007. I had it on the in, in, internet. It's still on in, under my bulletins. Nobody has really been listening that I know where you hear it, and then tomorrow it's business as usual. His agenda is called the Cloward Piven Strategy to destabilize a country, in this case America, by overloading the financial system, and when it collapses, in comes socialism. Planned. He's got an agenda. I see a brother shaking his head back here. And there's others that have heard about this. Google this, Cloward. It's spelled like coward, except it has an L in it. Cloward. Piven, P-I-V-E-N, Cloan Piven strategy. Look up that and you'll find a little bit more about what I just told you. It's amazing what you find out on Google that you won't find out on CNN. Uh, anyway, um, of course, Google has, sometimes they take look at Snopes. Snopes has an agenda too. And they're a bit, little bit on the left side. But anyway... Uh, he tells senior UN official U.S. will be a Muslim country by 2016. Anyway, Avi's wife got this information through channels of her own that she had, and this is not some sort of media hype. It is from people that can be trusted. Let's go on. Uh, my friend Avi further notes a three-point plan, U.S. plan with the Saudis. One is to see the end of the Iranian Shiite threat. Now, Obama is no fan, fan of the, the Iranians, except he won't bomb them because he don't go for that kind of stuff, and especially from America. He is dead against America's flexing its muscles and authority with other countries. Now, I'm from Australia, and... America's might is not all that popular with other places. I can say that. On the other hand, it's not like Obama. 
They might not like it, but also they like the protection it affords. They like the business influence and, and, and the, uh, the uh, economic influences that prevail. And places like uh, Australia is definitely on the American side of things, as well as from Europe. But the world is in turmoil today. Anyway, um, the first thing in this uh, covert plan with the Saudis and the U.S., see to the end of the Iranian Shiite threat. Now, Obama is on the Sunni side. There are two less than friendly sides in the whole Islamic world. There's a lot of little splinters, but there are two less than friendly, the, Shia, uh, the Shiites and the Sunnis. And these are the ones that are fighting right now, terror and Syria apart. And I don't know if this is the prophe- finale of the prophecy. Isaiah 17.1 says, Damascus will become... A heap of rules. The sister there shaking her head. She read that. She knows that. She reads her Bible. Oh, Damascus will become a heap of ruins, and this has never happened yet. And we're getting close. And the Al-Qaeda's, and the Shiites, and the Sunnis, and the Afghans, and, and this whole, whole crowd, um, Bashar Obama's, Bashar Obama's, um, a little group, the Alawites, they're all fighting each other now. It is amazing. And Israel is kind of sitting there with the smoke going up all around them, at least for right now. Business as usual in Israel, in Jerusalem. It's amazing. It can get worse. I look at the prophecy in Zechariah, chapter 14. That's way toward the end, and who knows how long it's going to be. The one thing, we, we have things that are told us by the, what I call them, the armchair prophets from Schofield and Hell Lindsay on, telling us exactly what's going to happen, and it doesn't. And, but anyway, we have all of these things. But the one thing that gets out of line, a lot of things that are told us in the scriptures here and here and over here and here and here, that's good. Except we have no order to put them in. Like from Genesis to Revelation, uh, the millennium. And uh, the only thing I'm sure about that is that the... uh, Thank you. First resurrection precedes the second resurrection. <laughs> that, that one, that's one I'm sure of. But there are so many other things that are supposed to happen. Maybe they're happening right now in Africa or Damascus or Pakistan or maybe they've happened before. We don't know the order. But we hear them so many times from some of the experts that we believe in order. I'm ready for anything to happen and I'd love to see Messiah come back tomorrow. It might take a week or so, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. But anyway, um, where was it? Well, the three-point plan? Uh, the, uh, one is to get rid of the Shiites. And Obama is a bit on the Sunni side, which is the Arab Spring crowd. The, the um, Muslim Brotherhood 
Anyway, uh, they want to see the end of it. And they have the gall to think about getting help from Israel before it passes its use-by date to them. They're the gall to think they're going to get help from Israel to get rid of the Shiites, uh, or uh, they might get help via fanatic Muslim Brotherhood, which is the Sunni regime born out of the Arab Spring. Let's go on. Following a second thing, that help from the, um, the Saudis, Following the takeover of the regimes in the Middle East from the Arab Spring crisis, um, they want to permit the obvious mass exodus or facilitate or uh, abet the obvious mass exodus of Sunni Islam and Arab Christians even from Egypt and elsewhere. All of these, all of these refugees... Get them to find amnesty in the United States. How is this going to be a Muslim country? Just you wait. I'm getting there. Find, this is part of the crowd. Find amnesty in the United States. And the boss, the boss in the White House really thrives on this. That's his bread and butter. Not only did, uh, did um, George Soros find a plum find a good candidate as a Marxist, he got a plum in that he was also Islamic. All these mean bad news for Israel. Okay. Uh, For the refugees, it will serve to add to a Muslim plurality in the USA, Canada, Europe, and Latin America. They're already half Muslim. Don't forget, but then don't forget this Latino bait. The refugees from Mexico and Latin America. Over 10 million Latin American illegals are in line for citizenship. Obama wants to give them citizenship on compassionate grounds with all the perks and with money that isn't there. They do cover the hires, the, the, the Latinos, the, the um, uh, the Latins, they do cover a higher standard of living, and why shouldn't they? But they are also willing to work. Their forerunners do adapt to the Judeo-Christian way. They have, a lot of them have Catholicism or some form of this type of thing. They adapt to that. They do not hate like the Arabs hate. And they are little political threat. So why not make them citizens? And they're all going to vote for Obama, of course, though there may be no more, uh, no more election. So why not? The fine print and the consequences are in the precedent, not the president, but the precedent. Multi-millions of refugees, we just touched on this, Syrians, Afghanis, Iraqis, Egyptians, Libyans, and all manner of Muslim fugitives are waiting in the wings. And if you did this, Mr. Obama... For the Latins south of the border, why not these other guys? And you don't need 50% to have a political takeover. Hitler did it with 10%. The communists do it with 10%. And you get 10% Muslims. Actually, if anybody would follow through this, my, my books are out there, my... Book before this last one, Nineveh, a parody of the president. I've got 
printed in there the percentage of Islam in any country from 1% or 2% on up to 10%. What will happen to the politics in that country? And as it increases, there is more and more sovereignty of the Shia, uh, Sharia law and Islam. It's in that book with the round cover, Nineveh, a parody of the present. Anyway, um, this is the plan for an Islamic day. And you know, I just get stuff day by day. Not only America. America is far more downhill than Australia. But we've got it over there, too, with the boat people. They have genuine refugees coming on the boats, and according to the laws, uh, the international laws, you can't send these people out to sea lest they die. And it is integrated with people from the Middle East who are not really refugees. They've got their Islamic baggage with them. South of the border, they don't have bombs and burqas in their suitcase. But these other guys coming along want to change the system. Okay, let's go. I talk too much and I, I'm kind of way behind because um, I want to be done on time. Uh, yeah, they're waiting in the wings. Other analysis, along with senior editor for the Jerusalem Post, Carolyn Glick, she writes some good stuff all the time. I often send it in my bulletins. Uh, if you don't get the bulletins, you can sign up for it out there. What I do, I take something that happens, and I say, yeah, that's good, Caroline. But for the rest of you, here's what Jeremiah says to reinforce it, or something like that. I had one like, what did Jesus say about Colonel Gaddafi and uh, Bashar Assad? Everybody knows those two names aren't in the scriptures. But he did say something. He said, you cast an evil spirit out of a man. Or maybe it's a country. And it goes wandering around in dry places and comes back with seven more evil spirits in itself. This is throwing out even such bad numerals as Saddam Hussein. The bloodshed that has followed his ouster is incomprehensible. Mubarak, he's no saint, but he wasn't one of the most, he wasn't a Saddam Hussein either. Some of these guys are pretty grim. But take him away, and it gets grimmer. Mubarak, they threw him out of Egypt, and now they're battling against the, the, um, the Muslim Brotherhood that is much more of a threat, and they would put a nice black bag over the head of all you ladies. But they're, they're nice. They'll give you a little slit to peek through. And, uh, and so, but... Now, I, I'm, well, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to the better side in a moment here. Um, anyway, Carolyn Glick writes some of this and various good authors. Moreover, global anti-Semitism, listen to this one, is now even higher than in 1938. I was seven years old. I don't remember that much. It's higher now even higher than in 1938 when Hitler made his move on world Jewry and killed six million Jews. One-third, 
one-third of the world's Jews went to the gas chambers of Hitler. I'm going to tell you something now that I've never, uh, I've just thought about recently since my last stint in Israel. Some lecture said about one-third of the world's Jewry dying under Hitler. Wait a minute. Where did I read about one-third before? Uh, Revelation 12. The woman clothed with the sun and with uh, the stars around her head. Twelve stars, like twelve tribes. And the old dragon came back and swept one-third of the stars out of the sky. God promised Abraham stars of the sky and sand of the sea. I was always told, and you were always told, that's, one, that's the fallen angels. Now I'm not so sure. Was that just a warning about a third of the Jews being taken at that particular time with one sweep of the dragon's tail? But there is a remnant. There is a remnant. Okay. Uh, global anti-Semitism is higher than it ever was. By the way, when did anti-Semitism begin? That might be my next book. I wasn't looking forward to it, but I was just did two courses in Israel. One was with Yad Vashem and one of the lectures, and they weren't all that spiritual. But the one guy says, we don't have a birthday for, for anti-Semitism. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, but you do. Oh, yeah. Genesis 3. Take the fruit, baby, and you're going to be clever like God. And how many people want to play God? From popes to, rabbi, to chief rabbis and to televangelists and to some despots even in churches and um, union bosses and all manner of politicians wanting to play God. Anti-Semitism, I believe, was born in the garden. Be like God without his prescription. He wants us to be like Jesus, to look in the mirror. So you're here, look in the mirror and see Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. But there's people that want to take a little shortcut and play God and lord it over everybody else. Anyway, I think we have a birthday for anti-Semitism. Back to the garden. Enough of that. Let's go on. How about we finish with some good news? There was a reading not, re- not uh, long ago with uh, about Balaam and uh, the Jews, the the Orthodox Jews follow a pattern of reading every year. Elsie and I follow this sometimes as much as we can to see what's going on there. And the recent reading was about Balaam. Balaam spoke his message. Balak brought me up from Aram. You know, I think most of you know this. Whether you follow these readings or not, you've read this before in Numbers 23. Balak brought me up from Aram, that's Syria, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced, says Balaam? From the rocky peaks I see them. From, they're, they're coming out of Egypt, see? 
From the heights I view them, I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Yesterday I had a, had a bit of an introduction on Israel is not one of the nations. And uh, many times we kind of live apart too, don't we? Like we should. From being part of the world system. Not one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? This is this heathen prophet. Curse Israel for me. Balaam. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. And may my final end be like theirs, says Balaam. It's kind of a prophecy tucked in there by somebody that uh, you would think maybe didn't know that. But we're supposed to know that. The irony is that I read what the final kingdom is going to be like. And most Jews and most Christians don't know what it says. Saddam Hussein knew it. And uh, uh, Arafat knew it. It's in the scriptures. Your kingdom is going to be from the, uh, the river of Egypt. That is not the Nile. It's the Wadi just right down below Gaza all the way up to the Euphrates, this is said about three times in the scripture for the final kingdom to occupy that much. I have no idea how the, the Almighty is going to do this. I do know that Jerusalem is included in that. But uh, Arafat at one stage was having a fit. This is what the Jews want. They, unfortunately, they don't even know about it. And the Christians don't know about it. And they think we're going to go up to heaven on the backside of Mars. Anywhere in my Bible, I find that we're going to be taken to the new Jerusalem, which is going to be over the old Jerusalem. And I'm very, very excited for the people I meet here, the family that I meet here. We're pretty much on the same page. We, we had that thing the other night at campfire about playing a number. I nearly cried. Play a Hebrew number. And the thing is, God didn't get rid of the Jews. He said, you, you're naughty and you're going to go. I'm going to run you out of this place. But when I'm good and ready, I'm going to bring you back. And we're coming with them. We're in the olive tree. We're coming with them. And God isn't finished with Israel by any means, shape, or form. No matter what the churches think. No matter what the Arabs think, the Arabs know what the Bible says. And they're scared. So what are we shaking in our boots for with what Obama does? Forget it. And I'll tell you one more thing, two more things, very quickly. I got three minutes to three, and I want to be done by three, unless there's some of you that want to stay, and we shut the tape off, and I got a couple things more. Uh, but anyway, what did I say? Two more things. What are I going to say? Um, the um, what was I going to say? <laughs> um, very important. The the um, as far as what is what is ha- oh the fox the, the little fox. There was a story I just read this not long ago. On the ninth, it's it's on the ninth of Av of the Hebrew calendar, which is the saddest Hebrew day. It's the day that both temples were destroyed, 
Solomon's temple, and the next one was destroyed. Uh, was the temple rebuilt by um, sorry? Zerubbabel, yes, thank you. I was trying to fish that out yesterday. Zerubbabel. I know it like I don't know my own name, but sometimes I forget my own name. <clears throat> That's what happens when you're as old as I am. But I'm, I'm, I'm still going. I've retired like, um, um, I don't want to forget this Zerubbabel either. I'm retired like uh, Melvin Huber said we should retire. Put on new tires and get going. <laughs> anyway, uh, both temples were destroyed on the 9th of Av. But... Um, second temple, uh, which Herod remodeled, uh, there was all this rubble, and the Jews were being slaughtered right and left, and they saw the whole rubble, and they saw a little fox running across, a wild animal, a rat-eating fox, whatever, and they were so distraught and cried and cried and cried, but a famous rabbi named Rabbi Akiva, he started laughing. And he said, Rabbi, how can you laugh? He said, because this judgment was promised if we don't get along with each other. But because this promise was fulfilled, I know the final one of the ingathering in the end of days will be fulfilled. Let's remember this. That's the one thing I was going to say. Remember this, the little fox that made the people cry and made the believing rabbi laugh. Because if the destruction came true, the good one's coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the other thing is this. I'm going to have to tell you this quickly. Oh, a couple things. Just a couple, well... This disaster that's coming. Three times in Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, God called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. And in Romans, as in Exodus, God told Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Two crusty dictators, Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh, God says, You're doing my thing. I raised you up, Pharaoh to magnify, to glorify my name. And Nebuchadnezzar, you are bringing the judgment that I promised these people if they left me for the Baals and for idolatry. It was inevitable. But anyway, that one, what's next here? I got, it's in, the, it's time, you see, that instead of getting all panicky, it's time American Bible believers begin to connect the dots. Remember the fox. But this last thing above all, don't forget what 153 means. I told some of you yesterday, some of you were not here. In a Hebrew text study called Gematria, every number in the Hebrew alphabet, the 22 letters, has a value. And they do some astounding studies. We compare words in our concordances, they can compare things with concepts and with numbers. And one that I closed with yesterday, it, all, it has bugged me for 40 years since I was a translator. Why was there 153 fish in that catch 
in John 21. They didn't know it was Jesus. He came after the resurrection. He was standing on the shore. He saw him out there fishing. He said, have you caught any fish? They didn't know it was Jesus. He said, we were all night. We didn't do it. We didn't catch it. Put your debts out on the other side of the boat. And they did. And it was so full of... Remember that story? But what in the world does it say 153? If my brother goes fishing, he comes back, he says, I got nine nice ones. Uh, or we, we, may, we, we might weigh them if it gets so many. We don't count 153. It's in the Bible for some reason, and for 40 years I struggled with this since I'm a translator. I know that 153 means something. Not long ago I found it in Gematria. Ani in Hebrew means I am. Elohim in Hebrew means that's the generic form of God. Ani, I am. 61 for Ani, 92 for uh, Elohim, 61 and 92 are 153. And it says they didn't know who it was on the shore. Peter's, John tells Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter grabs his outer coat and he jumps in the sea and they're pulling in these fish. And then it says, and the catch was so great, yet the nets didn't even break, but they're 153. Now that is a little bit out of place. Why 153? Who tells when you're counting fish? Who tells what the number is going to be like that? Or somebody goes fishing, you know, hey, I caught 150. Oh, I caught 159. You know, that doesn't happen. That's not the way, that's not the way, that's not ordinary talk. But it in the Gamatria, Ani Elohim. And this, I, I went into detail yesterday, but this is good enough for now. And, uh, if you want to know the rest, I would ask Brother Joe here. <laughs> He'll explain the rest of Gematria to you, maybe, or whoever else is here. But, but there are other things that we found, including Obama's name, that has a value in Gematria. These guys are not interested in Obama, uh, in uh, the sages. And how does it come out that they can calculate his name? There were other things that have happened in a way of judgment. And it's there by the numbering system. And it doesn't tell us everything, but it matches up enough to give us goosebumps. Ani Elohim, I am God. And Peter, John recognized it. And they didn't know Gematria, but I think that enumeration is there for us in the end of days. That we can see the precision 